Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. On a show, when someone knows that things aren't going well and they're not quite getting it, and then people in the cast around them start feeling like, this person, I don't think they're going to last. And it's almost like they have leprosy. You see people starting to kind of pull back a little bit. It's the most awful, awkward thing. And I never want that to happen, and I never want to do that to anybody because I've seen it happen, and it's really uncomfortable. It's just such a tough business that anywhere you can lift somebody up, legitimately lift them up, you know, I think you need to do it. I don't think that you should, if someone's really not good, and, and you know, I don't think you give anybody false hope, but I think you need to just try to find some bright spots for people where you can. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I'm so excited about this week's episode with one of the greatest actresses that you'll ever see on television or in film, Patricia Heaton. And she is so incredibly kind, generous, and inspirational. You're going to get so much out of these episodes. Before I get started, you can reach me if you want at Barry Katz on Instagram or Twitter, or you can go to my website at barrycats.com. Please follow me. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And if you want to leave me a message, I'll be glad to get back to you as soon as possible. Without further ado, let's get started. And I know you're going to love this episode. Patricia Heaton is a three-time Emmy-winning actress who has played not one, but two beloved TV moms. She most recently starred in ABC's critically acclaimed comedy The Middle as Frankie Heck, a mom trying to find balance between her family and career in the Midwest. The show ran from 2009 to 2018. Additionally, she's perhaps best known for her role as Deborah Barone on the classic series Everybody Loves Raymond, where she won two Emmy Awards for the role and was nominated seven times. In addition to her two Emmy wins, Heaton is also the recipient of the Best Comedy Actress Award from the viewers for quality television, a SAG Award, and three SAG nominations in the Best Actress category. There's only been a handful of shows in the last 20 years that have gone over 200 episodes, and Patricia Heaton has been in two of them. Heaton is the co-founder of Four Boys Films, a production company which she runs with her husband, David Hunt. 
The company produced the Sony feature film Mom's Night Out, TNT's production of The Engagement Ring, both of which starred Heaton. She also starred in Hallmark's Hall of Fame Front of the Class. Her other credits include the TNT Neil Simon production of The Goodbye Girl, Sony's Animated The Star, and ABC's The Path to 9-11. Four Boys' additional projects include The Christmas Heart for the Hallmark Channel and the documentary feature film The Bitterminous Coal Queens of Pennsylvania for Netflix. Four Boys also produced the critically acclaimed film Amazing Grace in conjunction with Bristol Bay Productions and partnered on the web series Versailles for MyDamnChannel.com, where Heaton appeared in the series, which was co-created, produced, and directed by her husband. Heaton garnered praise for the role of Stella in the second stage production of The Scene. Her feature film credits include Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Beethoven, New Age, and Space Jam. In addition to her acting and producing credits, Heaton is a best-selling author whose book Motherhood in Hollywood, How to Get a Job Like Mine, appeared on the New York Times bestseller list. Most importantly, a committed philanthropist, Heaton is the founding member of World Vision's Celebrity Ambassador Network, where she has traveled to Rwanda, Zambia, and Syria with a humanitarian organization which focuses on conducting relief development advocacy activities in its work with children, families, and their communities in nearly a 100 countries. Her new venture on television, entitled Carol's Second Act, features Patricia in the title role as a mom who, after raising her two children and retiring from teaching, embarks on a unique second act, pursuing her dream of becoming a doctor. You can catch the much-anticipated first episode premiere this Thursday, September 26th on CBS. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. I have a great feeling, Patricia Heaton. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? Good, I'm good. I have so many things to ask. Okay. But I think one of the first things I wanted to ask you was, there's a great, great acting guru from New York named Larry Moss. Yeah. And he used to say to me that in order to be an extraordinary artist, you need to have a hole blown through you. And then you take everything you can about what you're inspired about the business and it helps you fill the hole. And then once you get done with something, the hole empties again and you got to keep going and keep working towards your goal. Mm. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was because I lost my dad when I was four. Oh, you did. So when you lost your mom Mm. when you were 12, was that the thing that indirectly, because of fate and a cruel, horrible tragedy, was that the thing that sort of inspired you and propelled you to pursue this dream? Well, I think since I was very little, I have just always been performing. And I was really hooked on... Barbara Streisand albums and Shirley Temple movies and my friends in the neighborhood and I would put plays on we'd write them and you know produce them in our garage and do them for the neighborhood and sell tickets we were very entrepreneurial actually and um, we would take songs from West Side Story and we'd put on our roller skates and we'd go over to the grocery store and do it on the loading dock of the grocery store like as our stage so that was all there so whether or not, I would have pursued this if my mother hadn't passed away when I was 12, uh, um, is a good question. I, I think one thing that that might have crystallized in me was the idea that um, you have to seize the day, carpe diem, because no one is guaranteed your next day. And so I got to learn that very quickly. 
um, the author C.S. Lewis has a phrase called a severe mercy. And I almost feel in some ways that that is what that was. Um, because I think in some ways, well, I don't, you know, I don't, I wonder if my, if my mother had been alive, whether I would still have pursued acting. Um, I think she would have supported it because she did a lot of things for me when I was little that suggested she saw something in me. So she signed me up for ballet classes and art classes. Um, when my father was very concerned about money. So it wasn't easy for her to ask for extra money for me to do things, but she did. She got me braces because my teeth were crooked. And, you know, we didn't have money for that. So she went to this dentist who liked to dabble in orthodontia. So he wasn't a real orthodontist. So we got this cut rate deal on these braces. It worked. Um, so she she saw who I was and she supported it. So I think if she hadn't passed away, she still would have been supportive. Um, but I kind of had nothing left to lose once um, my mom passed away. And I did try to study journalism to start with because my dad's a journalist, my brother's a journalist. Um, but I just couldn't, I just was very unhappy and, in college. And the unhappiness was a combination of still not having gone through a grieving a proper grieving process for my mom but also that I was doing something I didn't really want to do and so I sort of stirred up the courage to um, tell my dad I wanted to change into a theater major which I thought would make him upset but he actually said that's fine just do what you want to do he never thought I'd actually pursue it I think he just thought I'd come home and then he'd get me a job at one of the local stations um, but then I moved to New York quickly after graduating at Ohio State. I think I worked for two days at this sort of mafia Cleveland mob restaurant called the Blue Fox. And I, was, I just thought, I have to go immediately. It was the best two-day job I've ever had because it just prompted me to literally get on a plane within a week and leave to go to New York. So, um yeah, so I think that was always in me. I think my mom's death, um, well, it's a bottomless source of emotion for sure. And um, I think it's made me more emotionally vulnerable, which is a good thing as an actress to have or to be. I remember certain moments about things that I've seen just like we all do and one of the moments I remember for some reason was at the Emmy Awards in 2001. I can't remember the last time I cried when I watched somebody walk up to the <laughs> podium and speak and I remember crying about that and watching that and you were so emotional and I presume it was because of all the crazy things that were happening around 9-11, but it, it, it seemed to me, if I was a betting man, it was more than that. Well, I, that whole event was fraught with emotion. They were postponing the Emmys because of 9-11, and then it was a possibility that they were going to be canceled, and then there was this sense that we're not going to let these terrorists you know, change who we are and what we're doing. But you wanted that balance of celebrating our in industry, but 
being cognizant of what we this incredibly huge tragedy that we just we had just been through so it was a little difficult and actually um ellen degeneres was the host that year and she was terrific um and they sort of toned down everything so it wasn't the amount of gowns and sort of um luxury that you usually see at these events in out of respect for what has just happened and i think i did just feel emotional i wasn't expecting to win at all and mary tyler moore presented me with that emmy and and share presented share presented the year before <laughs> and uh, that was quite i mean mary tyler moore was one of my heroes watching her on her show was such a highlight of my week growing up and so it was very huge that way and then 9-11 had just happened and i just thought about all the people who were suffering and and here we were celebrating and so it was just a quite a big mix of emotions and i had not actually prepared anything to say which i normally uh would have done that because i really don't like when actors get up at the oscars and just sort of blather on you know, if you're nominated for it, you should prepare a speech. You really should prepare a speech and have something pithy to say. The 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 Brits are normally really good at it. Um, uh, Emma Thompson is terrific at acceptance speeches. Um, so I, you know, I I feel a bit ashamed that I wasn't quite prepared, but it was such an emotional evening that um, I just sort of poured my heart out a bit. And the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond, Phil Rosenthal, the Emmy speech is the bane of his existence because twice he forgot to mention Les Moonves' name. That's <laughs> <Yes>, right, yes. <laughs> and yes. so it comes full circle. Yes, that. that's right. And I just think about that moment, and I believe I remember the first time that you cried on camera in Everybody Loves Raymond. Mm -hmm. There was a scene, I believe, and Ray was trying to console you and it felt so real but yet it's one of those moments where you're crying and you're laughing at the same time do you remember which episode what it was about i can't remember i just remember you crying and then i think i remember i saw it only twice and the second time i saw it was only as a clip oh right and it was on i think I don't know if I'm right or wrong. Did you do a biography or something mm -hmm, like that? Mm -hmm. So it was on a biography yeah, okay. too. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because I I think I remember one of the first times Deborah was ever emotional was when she thinks she's lost her engagement ring, and she's coming down the stairs ever after having looked for it and is very upset to the point of tears almost. And um, what had happened actually is Ray had bought her some cheap imitation diamond off the back of a truck kind of thing and then he went to replace it uh, and and she couldn't find it and then when she realizes what it is she has a complete turn from sort of like being very emotional to being really angry which was a lot of fun to do and i'm trying to remember i don't rem i hardly remember crying on on raymond though was it like a serious crying thing or was it well it was one of those cries where if you were there yeah and it was happening in real life yeah you would be like this person's really crying right but on the stage and on the sitcom it's hilarious yes there's um an interesting you ha there's funny crying that's completely sincere but there's just something about it and i couldn't put it into words but i know how to do it i know how to, i know what the difference is between crying and in a drama and crying in a comedy you're still 
fully emotional, but there's just it's the weird technical thing you do. Maybe it's the pitch of the, the voice or something that makes the difference. Is there any part of acting at this stage of the game that intimidates you that you almost say to yourself, I got to prepare extra for this kind of scene or is everything equal? Uh, you know, comedy is difficult, I think, because of timing. And um, right now with this new show, Carol Second Act, I'm carrying quite a bit of the show. And You're, um, you're in every scene. <laughs> seems, feels like it. For the audience listening. So I'm here in the bungalow where everybody is, and you and your husband are working as well, who's an executive producer on the show. And you drive up here and literally every block there is a billboard the size of an 18 wheel <laughs> truck with your name in yeah. huge letters almost yeah. bigger than the name of the show yeah <laughs> and so as i'm driving here i'm like this is the dream of every actor or actress is to know that you're recognized not just as somebody who can carry a show. But a lot of people don't know this, and I'm sure most of the audience doesn't know this. Those billboards, they cost hundreds of thousands of dollars each. Even the minimum one might be like 50000 a month. And they're all over the place. Yeah, so people just, have been sending them to me. Yes. I actually have not seen one. I come in a different entrance on the lot that I, I have not seen a billboard yet, but I've seen pictures of them because people are sending them to me. There is one as you drive up. It's the highest billboard <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Ten stories yeah. up. Yeah. And you're watching and you're thinking, I am going to crash into something as I watch this. <laughs> right. But right. so I just wanted to share that with yeah. the audience before. Well, you it's, you know, it's funny because I don't, I have such a disconnect with that. And um, we saw a commercial last night as we were watching 60 Minutes and a cor commercial came up for Carol Second Act. And it said, and Patricia Heaton is returning to CBS. And, you know, this is really the first time where I'm being singled out because on the middle it was just felt like it was such an ensemble. This is too, but for some reason I'm being more singled out on this one. And... It's, um, I'm not uncomfortable. I just don't like to look at it and it doesn't, I don't relate to it that much. I think, and I, you know, I'm not sure why. Um, I like to keep a, a, a distance between myself personally, my personal life and show business, but also the work that goes into it. So it's, you know, the, show aspect and then the business aspect is different and so those billboards and all that that has nothing to do actually with what i go in and do every day so i just kind of feel like i need to keep that separate for my own mental health and for my artistic health um and you know just when we were raising the boys we tried to keep my career separate um, I feel bad for kids whose, whose parents' careers are so huge and so looming that they have a hard time crafting their own identity because of their parents. Fortunately, the boys have a different last name than I do. 
so that's a little bit easier for them but if you came to our house there is nothing that you would see that would suggest we were in show business there's no pictures of me or Dave or you know I think in the in the gym we have a couple little posters from some things we've done but that's it I was just at the Comedy Central roast of Alec Baldwin mm-hmm special surprise his his daughter ireland uh-huh. comes out and roasts him but the thing that was most significant that i remember that was so funny yet so gut-wrenching which would never be something that one of your sons would say to you <laughs> right was it when she, he yelled at her on the phone yeah, but yeah. she talked about that but the mm-hmm. last line she said was it was so subtle but so bone crushing mm-hmm. she said dad i'd like to leave the stage and tell you something that you never told me good night (laughs) (laughs) right right (laughs) oh yeah that's really good yeah no we really tried to keep it separate there was at one point i did a very short-lived sitcom with kelsey Grammer, and we didn't you know you never know if these things are going to happen even sometimes the best of casts um that you think would be bulletproof you know go down and so I didn't tell the boys I was doing a show and I didn't have to be in to work till about 10 o'clock and then Kelsey didn't really like to rehearse much so we were usually done by two or something. So I would take the boys to school, go to work, come home from work, have an extra hour and then go pick them up. So they didn't know that I was working until one day Joe came home and said, Mom, are you working on a show? And I said, guiltily, weirdly, I said, yes. I said, how did you know? And he said, there's a huge billboard outside my school with your picture on it. And so I had to confess that I was indeed working. So I've tried to, you know, um, keep a, a separation from all the uh, the interviews and billboards and, and that kind of thing. But on the other hand, it is really nice to get to a point where someone or a company really gets behind your show and really promotes it. Raymond was a bit of a struggle in that area. And even the middle, we premiered with Cougar Town and Modern Family and Hank, which ran for a total of two episodes, I believe. That was another Kelsey show. And um, we were just, you know, Cougar Town was going to be the big show. And then there was a good buzz about Modern Family, and nobody had ever heard of us. And it kind of stayed that way. Cougar Town fell. Modern Family soared and the middle just plowed along like everybody in the middle does. And, um, you know, we ran for nine years, never got a nomination, never got a nod, never got anything. I think there was a few. Uh, Eden got a Critics' Choice Award, I think, and Eileen and Deanne, our creators, Eileen Heisler, Deanne, Helene got a few things, but really nothing, even though we had wonderful articles written about us in The New Yorker and other places. So, so this time around, it's nice to, to feel like the network is really behind the show. But how many actors or actresses can you name that have been in two shows that have gone a minimum of eight years? Well, I was thinking about that. I think, I feel like Julia Dreyfus must be close. I don't know how old Christine, how long that ran. And then Veep didn't run that long, but it was an HBO show. So... So I feel like she has kind of a status, and she's so wonderful. She's such a hardworking, down-to-earth person. Um, she's kind of a cemented a status as kind of a reigning 
comedy queen for television. Um, I might have more episodes. I remember when we had our 200th anniversary party for the middle, 200th episode, and Eileen Heisler got up at the party and said, there's only 15 American sitcoms who have done 200 or more episodes, and we're one of them. And she said, but Patty's been in two of them, because Raymond also went more than 200. So that, and I had not even thought about that. The closest actor I remember that can, might be close to that is Carol O'Connor, because he did All in the Family, and then he did In the Heat of the Night, which went, I think, seven or eight oh, seasons. right. And Kelsey did. did Cheers and Frasier. Yes. So, and Frasier is the longest running one, I believe, at, like, how many years? Was it more than 11? I think it was 12. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's a, what's astonishing about that for me, really, is that right after I graduated from Ohio State, I struggled for a long time in New York City for nine years and, you know, couldn't get an agent, couldn't get a job. After I finished studying with uh, William Esper. Great, great. The great William Esper was just at his memorial over the summer in New York. Fantastic. Legendary. Yes. If you don't mind, I just want to say to the audience who probably, Patricia won't admit to this, but even when things aren't going well, the persistence it takes to get the little victories and to get to a point where you got to be in William Esper's class, if I'm not mistaken, this is a class that, like Larry Moss, it's next to impossible to get in, but you kept going back and hanging out and hammering away. Yes, and I wouldn't stop away calling. Until yes. he, I believe, he gave you the shot to audit the class. That's right. Yes. And then you kept hanging around him until he gave you the chance yes, to be so in the class. Yes, so I got it class. into the second year. So for the audience, so you're talking about a whole year of just trying to get into the class. Right. You're worried, you know, people are worried, am I going to get an acting job? Am I going to, you're just trying to get in the acting class, but you never gave up on that. Right. Someone had told me, you know, this was the class to be in, but it's impossible to, to, to get into it. And I right away said, okay, then I have to get into that one. And they were right. And I'm glad I finally did. And it was wonderful to be at his memorial with Richard Schiff and Timothy Oliphant and Christine Lottie and, uh, Callista Flockhart and so many people. It was just a joyous celebration, and I, I feel so privileged that I was able to study with him. But the, but that whole New York experience was tough. And when I moved to New York in I believe it was '89, you know, I had one commercial under my belt, and I had done an off 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 Broadway show that from with some of the students from Bill's class. And I just brought that with me to L.A. And I, I took some money from the commercial and I produced that little play in Los Angeles and just invited casting directors to come and see me. I didn't even invite agents because um, casting directors can give you a job whether you have an agent or not. So somehow I figured that out and I started getting auditions through that show. But I just think what's miraculous is to be talking about figuring out how many episodes of TV I've done. One of my castmates just asked me the other day and we were trying to figure it out. never really thought about it. To be at that point when I moved to LA with no car, no agent, no manager, I was 30 years old, I guess. And um, 
it's a miracle that you and I are sitting here today talking about all this because it just, uh, I don't know if it could even happen today. And um, I just think it's kind of miraculous, actually, that we're here talking about it. Why do you think it couldn't happen today? I feel that today social media has changed the way people are even casting it's now important to have a social media presence and you, and a casting director and a producer are more likely to look at talent, yes, but also how many followers somebody has because now there's so many outlets for product and there's only so many eyes to go around for all those shows. And so you have to try to draw as many eyes to your show as you can right out of the gate and having someone that already has a following of 10 million people is just a big advantage and so um and that and most of those people who have that are look a certain way are involved in beauty fashion music to be just an actor and that's all you do and it's not about how you look or what you're wearing or who you know um i don't know that you could make it today hey everybody i hope you're enjoying this episode as much as i am if you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody, and I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount. A $100 discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the Air Doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house 
it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600. And you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. So when you came to LA, I believe what was fascinating about it is is that sometimes fate is strange. You work for nine years in New York trying to get something, anything. Yeah. I believe you got off the plane in LA and I think you went to a party with a friend of yours or something. Mm -hmm. And there was a producer or somebody from 30 something. Oh, I could tell you how that happened. Um, actually, Richard Schiff is the one that picked me up at the airport. We, <laughs> when I got to LA, we, we'd known each other from New York. No, I actually went right to a copy shop um, to copy my resumes. This is how old I am. <laughs> and while I was waiting for my resumes to be copied, at like a Kinko's or Charlie, was there a Charlie Chan copy or something like that here? And um, there was a, a fellow that worked with Manhattan Theater Club in New York sitting there also waiting for some something to be copied. And we just struck up a conversation and I told him I had just come from New York. And we we knew a lot of the same people. And so he after talking to me, he said, you know, I can just tell by talking to you that you're a good actress. So I want you to call my send your picture in, excuse me, send your picture to the, these casting directors for the show 30-something, which was created by Ed Zwick and Marshall Herskowitz. And just tell them that I said that you should send this in. And I did send it in. And they, they called me right away. So this gentleman, Jack Temption, clearly, uh, you know, they trusted and respected him. And they told me, yes, he sends people our way a lot, and we have something you should come in for. So I went in and read for a part, and I got it, and then it was cut out of the script. <laughs> and they called me back in for another part, and that was for uh, to play an OBGYN for some of the characters, and I got that. And Ed Zwick and Marshall Herskowitz were really wonderful to me. And they called me after the audition and just said, where did you come from? Gosh, you're so good. And I really, I don't, you know, I hadn't, the lines I had were just like medical lines. Uh, so I, I'm not sure what I did, what about what I did impress them. But they were so encouraging and they treated me so kindly and the cast also did. And so I felt very encouraged and very welcomed. And they called me back later and said, we're going to bring you back as a, a, a recurring character because we have another storyline involving a doctor and cancer, and so you can be part of that. And just this past year, I 
ran into Ed and Marshall at an art gallery, and I hadn't seen them since I did 30-something. So we're talking 30 years ago. And I said to them, I'm so glad I'm seeing you because you are the reason I got going in this business because I didn't have an agent when I booked that and that was the hottest show to be on and that enabled me to get an agent and you guys were so kind and so supportive and I, I just can't thank you enough for what you've done for me and I was so happy to be able to tell them that in person because it's so important and I think all through my career so many people random people had come up to me and said, I, I can just tell that you're going to be successful. I had a number of people in church a lot, actually, people come up to me and say that. Um, and, you know, you can take that a couple of ways, because sometimes church people who have like a word for you are crazy. Um, but I, whenever anyone said they thought I was, you know, had something special and was going to be successful, I always uh, took it as a confirmation. And I just think that's important for anyone who's tr struggling in this industry because it's so, so difficult. And when I see talented younger people, I try to give them that encouragement too um, because you need that to keep going. Absolutely. I think you have something, there's this weird tie-in that I noticed that I want to share with you. Okay. It's not particularly totally all there, but just go with me on this. Okay. This is how crazy the business is and how fate is so strange. So you auditioned for the role of Elaine in Seinfeld. Yes. You don't get it. Right. If you had gotten it, that was a show that went, God knows, nine years. Ray auditioned for news radio, got news radio, got went to the fired. table read, got fired. They hired Joe Rogan. Right. And now Ray is also like, oh my God, you know. Ray is working with Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro and Mick Jagger and Harvey Keitel and Joe Pesci. It's, I, I don't, even I am like a little blown away. But you, I think you knew that he had that in him. Because I remember seeing something, I forget where it was, an interview where you commented on how great an actor he was and he started as a stand-up comic but he had this thing in him and most people didn't think of him as that way very few stand-ups re really can transition to real acting even if they get their own comedy um ray's gone just so far beyond um you know what any other stand-up has been able to do and he has really developed. I remember seeing him when I went to audition for Everybody Loves Raymond the first time. And he was sitting in a corner and I didn't know who he was. I'd never met him, never seen a picture of him. And I remember thinking, when is this Ray Romano going to get here? And he was sitting in the room. And when I saw him, I thought, oh, boy, this, we're never, this is never going to go anywhere. Um, I hadn't seen his comedy special yet. You know. <laughs> Why did you think this was never going to go anywhere? He didn't, there's, you know, different comedy people and different stand-ups have different kinds of energy. And he's never on. He's, he's just... never on. And he's a humble, humble guy. And that's not what you usually get from stand-ups. And there's a certain projection that you have to have for multicam, which I didn't see in the room when he was sitting there. He was in the corner like Boo Radley. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And um, I thought, geez. 
don't uh, don't go out and get a new car just yet because uh, I don't think this is going anywhere. But the way he tells it, he knew you were the one because I think you were the only actress to kiss him in the scene. Yes, that would let him kiss me or I kissed him or something. Listen, I was desperate for a job. <laughs> we were cutting coupons and, you know, we had two little kids and neither my husband and I had a job. So did you tell your husband before he went in, listen, I just want to let you know I'm going to kiss this guy to get this job. I was like, I'm going to do what I have to do to get this job. No. Um, but, uh, but that wasn't why you kissed him, was no, it? No, you it's, and, it and a kiss is nothing. You know? scene. Yeah, it's part of the scene. But why do you think every actress that went in, every single one that auditioned from the beginning stages, and when he was in the room till the end, till the tests, why do you think no one did it except you? I think I related to the character of Deborah, mother of three. I was a mother of two at that time. When I did the audition, I had I had a time crunch. My babysitter was in college and she had to go to class and I had to like climb over these gals and say, do you mind if I run in and do this audition? I got to get back. My babysitter's got to leave. So um, I, I just wasn't even thinking that much. And I didn't have to do any research for the role because Deborah was the same as me. She was in the same situation in her life. So it was just, you know, you just automatically do that. But I, I do believe that, you know, you always check with somebody, at least I do, just give another actor common courtesy about, is this okay to do? I mean, I've always thought that before Me Too or anything, that you just clear it with whoever. So you asked them before. Or he asked me or something, yeah. But there was, you know, it was not a surprise. I think you always should talk about it, regardless of what the status of either of the actors are. And... um. I remember I was in a show and we were, I was in a room for two with Linda Lavin, my first one, and we were auditioning for the guy who was going to play my love interest. And this guy, and, and I'm already established on the show, right? And this guy comes into audition and he comes over in this audition with like the networks there and just lays a really big wet one on me. And I just thought, Oof. Like for me, I wasn't going to give that guy the job because it's 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 a little out of control. And there was, you know, listen, all those things are really choreographed and you you make sure everybody's comfortable. So for a guy to do that in an audition without asking me, it was just too much. And if he had asked me, I probably would have said, OK, and, but just do it. Let's do it this way. Um, I'll never forget. I was actually a reader for a friend of mine's play. And the actors were, I was reading against all the actors who were auditioning. And this one gal who was quite a, quite a well-known actress at the time came in and uh, what did she threw a chair or she kicked me or something. And she was very, you know, and then she apologized. She was saying, oh, so sorry about that. I was just so into the role. And I just thought, no, you know what? That was so uncool. And... Um, a really good actor is always in control. Even when you're fully emotional and fully realized in the emotion, you're still in control. There's still a, there should be another part of you that's watching what you're doing and sort of directing it a little bit, you know. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. 
It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. I remember when I represented Tracy Morgan and he was testing for SNL and I got the call a few days earlier from Lorne and Marcy Klein that there were too many people on the test and there was a person that they felt probably had the least chance of getting it and that was Tracy and they wanted to have him not do the test and I fought to have him do the test and he ended up getting the show and being a huge part of things and Lorne produced a lot of shows with him. And I think Tracy, even though he's a cartoon character of himself sometimes, and he yeah. would say that if he was here, yeah. he never held angst against anybody. You tested, the network wanted Jane Sibbett, mm. and Ray wanted you. And from what I remember, Ray, if he told me or I saw it somewhere that he had really said, you're the one, you're the person. And so then you go on and you do, well, God knows, eight, nine years, you got 200 episodes, yeah. you're winning two Emmys. You go from what I believe is supposed to be, you know, Ray and then everybody else. And you are, and Ray would be the first one to sit here and say, you were a co-lead on the show. It was the both of mm. you. It was like how mad about you was like. Right. And during those years, did you ever think to yourself when you saw the CBS mm -hmm. executives walking through, you think to yourself, I wasn't the person. Do you want to come up to me and say, hey, we're sorry we didn't think you were the one, but. No, I never thought that. Hey, I didn't actually hear that story till much later. Um, so I, I, honestly, I was, just trying to get through the day with my kids and my job that that's all you think about at the time and no i never even thought about that i mean that that process for actors is so insane there's no rhyme or reason to it they are put through a meat grinder day in and day out and it's the hardest thing in the world so i i only have sympathy for all my fellow actors and the process that we go through it's tough you know when you're not a known entity and you're auditioning for something 
the role you're reading for is already being offered to other people. You're just like filler. You're like filler because the casting person has to do something, you know, <laughs> while they're waiting to hear if so-and-so is going to take the part. So, and you still show up and you still try your best because at some point, hopefully, you know, you'll break through or they'll remember you and they'll bring you on for a, a little part or whatever. I remember going back into the, the casting offices at Raymond. This is a few years into the show and we were very established and we were doing well. And I saw stacks of headshots against the wall from the floor up the wall. And, you know, there was a little tape on the wall with the name of the character they were auditioning these people for. And we didn't have huge guest actors on the show. They were always usually just a few lines here and there. And there was a hundred headshots in these stacks for one, you know, one or two lines. And I remember seeing that and having this sort of kind of anxiety come up and just, and I thought, how did I get out of that pile of headshots? How did I get out? It's... It's scary, actually, to think about because I don't know what the difference is between me and all those other people. Um, so I think you do. Well, <laughs> there's a little bit of talent involved. Um, I, I do see. I think comedy, in particular, is a is a harder, you know, a harder form of acting to do than drama. You're the executive producer of the show with mm. your husband and yep. several other people who co-created the show with you and right. also Aaron Kaplan, who's probably done about 1,700 shows Yes, he's now. prolific. So you're now a decision maker and something happened on the show that was fascinating that was sort of what happened to Ray. So you have your daughter who was in the pilot and then, if I'm not mistaken, that role gets recast. Somebody has to call her and say, listen, I know you were ready to buy that car. Right. I know you are ready. This is your big break, but I'm sorry. We're going to let you go. And then Ashley Tisdale right. was hired. Yeah. How much does that other side of the business hurt and sting when you remember yourself as yeah. an actress yeah. you remember if you were to be in that position how crushing that would yeah. be mm -hmm. and it's it's a, just a part of the business and it happens to almost everybody and you know you just have to make sure that you reach out to that person which i did with bonnie because she was she's a terrific actress and i just said you are phenomenal and you're going to, you're, you have a great career and you'll continue to have a great career and everything's going to be great. So, um, and I said that we went in a different direction and had nothing to do with your abilities. So it's just, you know, and sometimes those calls feel awkward to make or those emails are awkward to send, but it's super important to get over your, that feeling of awkwardness. It would have been easy just to have the casting director or one of this network producers say, to her, you know, we're, we're changing, we're not, we're not going to, you know, up your contract for this show. And I could have just been silent, but I think I've learned along the way how important it is, even when you feel awkward or uncomfortable to, to honor that person's work and do what you would like someone to do when, if you would be in that position. I remember on another show I did, an, an actress did a, about six episodes or however many she did and they decided that it's just the character wasn't working on the show and the producer came up to me and said 
you know, today's her last day or tomorrow's her last day. Should we just pretend like nothing's happened? I said, you know what? Let's just celebrate that she was here. Let's not all walk around pretending like she's not going to be back. And, you know, we had a cake for her and we celebrated her and just I bought her a gift and, you know, we just told her that we loved her. And so then it's all out in the open and no one's kind of being furtive and weird. There's nothing worse on a show when someone knows that things aren't going well and they're not quite getting it. And then people in the cast around them start feeling like this person, I don't think they're going to last. And it's almost like they have leprosy. You see people starting to kind of pull back a little bit. It's the most awful, awkward thing. And I never want that to happen. And I never want to do that to anybody because I've seen it happen and it's really uncomfortable. And um, so I think, yeah, you just in those situations as a producer, I want to be that kind of producer that's really upfront and but also kind. It's just such a tough business that anywhere you can lift somebody up, legitimately lift them up, you know, I think you need to do it. I don't think that you should, if someone's really not good and, and you know, I don't think you give anybody false hope, but I think you need to just try to find some bright spots for people where you can. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatru, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life and instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. It doesn't hurt to have a subset of skills that can help keep you afloat when you are not working as an actor. So, I mean, I, you know, I was able to summarize depositions for a, a, quite a few years when I first moved to L.A. Um, and you, you weren't out being seen in a restaurant as a waiter. You could stay at home, do your work at any hour of the day or night. And it was a perfect survival job to help pay the bills while I was, you know, getting a gig here or there. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that 
fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.